0: episode, I kind of made it seem as if my high school U.S. history education was all about old dead white men and just lacked diverse perspectives and stories, which isn't quite right. My U.S. history teacher actually did do a lot of work to try to bring in diverse stories and help us to have diverse experiences in our history classes. From our first introduction to Christopher Columbus being a video about how he didn't discover America because there were already people here, to when I was in European history with her, being the faculty sponsor and lead chaperone when I proposed a history tour of Europe. I had a history teacher who was trying to make American history not solely about what white people have done, so I invited her on this episode so that we can talk about her inspiration for being a history teacher Her practices in the classroom, the fight against current attempts to censor history and make it strictly about victories and not failures, about good disruptors, past and present, and integrating the history she tells in order to dismantle white supremacists and white savior narratives, and even the response in her classroom to the current racial and political climate. So... Straight from the front lines of history education, teaching world history and both advanced placement and regular US history, I present to you my high school history teacher, Jessica Wood.
1: (laughs) It's really nice to be here. It's really good to see your face and to be talking about something that we both love.
0: How long have you been teaching history?
1: I have been teaching high school history. This is my ninth year. Prior to teaching high school history, I taught middle school history. For like two and a half years and then I dabbled in some elementary school education prior to that for a year, which is really fun <laughs> but I, I preferred talking to more adult like students. I like the optimism of young people and the curiosity and the willingness and the bravado to make changes in society and to make the world look something more like what they would want to live in. Just don't get that same vibe in like a first grade classroom. (laughs) So I really like, I really like high school for that reason. The different, different kind of conversation.
0: (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) you have a unique perspective on things having, you know, had your own history education in high school, gotten history education in college, and then taught different levels of history for several years now. What have you learned?
1: What a great question. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot not only about history, but also about history education, how it's presented in school and and how it's most effective or ways that it can be effective in being interesting for high school students. I know that they do these exit surveys of graduating seniors and over the past few generations when they poll students what's your favorite class and what's your least favorite class. Consistently across states, across generations, students rank history as their least favorite class and they think it's really boring, they think it's irrelevant, and thinking back on my own history education, I can completely understand why someone might feel that way. Uh, History was actually my least favorite class in high school. Even though I was not great at math and I had a touch of math phobia, I still preferred to go to my math class rather than my history class, and that's partially because my history teacher, I had two history teachers in high school. One, my APUS history teacher was very obsessed with the military and military history which i suppose if i had been interested in that maybe i would have found his class more interesting but i remember we did like an entire unit on the types of guns they used in world war ii and as a high school sophomore female i was very disinterested in the weaponry of (laughs) of world war ii so i i thought that that's kind of all people cared about in history was war And so I I really thought that that's all history was about, was just one war after another. And that just wasn't interesting to me. And then the other history class that I had was like a combo American history government class. And my teacher would pull out her spiral notebook and she would open it to whatever page we were on and she would walk up to the chalkboard and she would write in cursive the notes on the board exactly as they appeared in her notebook. And then she would stand to the side and wait for us to copy those notes into our notebook. And then she would erase the board and do it again. And when that wasn't happening, we were getting packets, like super huge packets that kind of mirrored the textbook. And we learned that our teacher only looked at the first page and the last page. So as long as the first page and the last page were done properly and the middle just kind of had some random stuff in there you could get full credit. So I definitely took advantage of that. <laughs> so it's fair to say that I learned almost nothing in my high school history education except for the fact that I didn't like history and I didn't think it was very useful or meaningful. And it wasn't until I started to travel out of curiosity for different parts of the world and and met people who lived in different countries who spoke different languages and they started to explain their history to me. I was, I was riveted. I was like, wow, this is so interesting. I wish I would have learned this. Or if I did learn it, I didn't learn it in a way that was meaningful to me. I didn't understand or retain it. And it definitely didn't seem like something that had any bearing on the world today. So I think the tipping point for me was two things. One, I went to Germany my senior year of high school and the collective narrative in Germany around World War II and their their collective guilt around that and how they still memorialize it and how they talk about their history was fascinating to me. And then when I went to Cambodia and met people who had been like personally affected by Pol Pot and his regime. And I was like, wow, I definitely don't remember learning about anything like this. And this is, seems really important. <laughs> and so I kind of resolved at that point that I would go back to school and be the kind of history teacher I, I wish I would have had when I was in school. And so that's, that's kind of the high mark I've set for myself. And I feel like Each year I inch like millimeter by millimeter closer to the version of myself that exists in my head, (laughs) but doesn't always exist day to day, Uh, but the the version of myself that I would like to be in my classroom.
0: I can totally see it remembering how you used to teach us. The fact that like you were always like we're doing a mini like we always had really mini lectures. You didn't try to spend a lot of time just talking at us. It was a lot more engaging with the history instead of just being told the history, which definitely is why i liked history so much
1: oh i'm so glad to hear you say that that i i feel like is is the is the actual art of history is that history as a discipline is just making reasoned arguments with evidence about the past which i had no idea when i was in high school and it wasn't until i got to college that i was like oh History isn't as settled as it seemed in my textbook. It made it seem like, well, this is just the way it happened. And the end, there's no more discussion about this. And that's not at all how the discipline of history is. <laughs> like historians will argue about like the tiniest minutia in like one diary entry from one thing, uh, and it's this very active and interesting discipline. And and this idea that like once the history of this time period has been written, like that's it, that's settled. There's no more discussion about it. And that's not how it is at all. Like people are constantly looking for
0: new pieces of evidence truly because it was always so interesting in my college history courses when professors would insert their own ideas about how things happened in history into our lectures or discussions because that's when you realize that history is a lively debate that people are actively bringing new evidence to and changing and that that's what professional historians do they don't just look at one narrative and keep retelling it they bring new evidence and try to change that narrative. I guess textbooks just don't show that side of history. So when I, I think of
1: the problems facing history education, I think the entire concept of how we expect students to learn history is is flawed. Teachers are employed in a district and they're usually given a curriculum and that curriculum is generally very tied to a textbook. It's aligned to it and they're given a textbook the students read the textbook and they fill out their main idea questions at the end and maybe they'll have a little breakout box that talks about a law or a person or a movie that was made about that thing and and that's it that's how we learn history and it's so terrible <laughs> because history textbooks take everything that's good about a story and remove it so what makes a story interesting is, is conflict and, and intrigue and people, and they kind of remove that, generally speaking, in a textbook. So it's not presented as, as an, a time that was alive with people and perspectives and conflict and groups who were advocating for their point of view, and it's just presented as one thing after another. And it's very boring. And so, in that sense, I, I feel that textbooks are pretty responsible for poor history education. <laughs> uh, just because it's hard to make them exciting, it, it's hard and it's a lot to expect a teacher, especially if you have, you know, 100, 150 students, like most people do, to then devote your creative energy to reimagining a curriculum you've already been given especially if you have any sort of other demand in your life <laughs> if you have a family or another job like a lot of teachers have to then give them kind of the responsibility of taking something and making it relevant and then adapting it for students with different learning needs and so it's all it's a lot to to ask of teachers and so I. I hope that history education programs and ultimately textbook companies can do a better job and not place everything on the the individual instructor to try and make it relevant for for students, that there's some kind of, of way to create a curriculum that asks better questions and tells better stories than just the story of a bunch of old dead white guys who fought wars and passed laws and The end. (laughs) Yay, America.
0: (laughs) Yay. And on that note, you're very good with giving us open ended questions, which is a part of what made the class so engaging. Ooh, the one that I remember randomly, really vividly is Lincoln a racist? And, you know, 11th grade me was like, Lincoln freed the slaves. He couldn't have been a racist but as we looked at documents from different people having discussions of him like in public and in private we came to this conclusion that wasn't just a yes lincoln was racist or a no lincoln was not racist but this idea that in his own time he was rather progressive but he wasn't as he wasn't what we would consider now progressive he didn't think that like black people were complete equals but he also didn't have like the same like a regressive southern mindset he was somewhere in the middle again what makes history interesting is that it's usually not just one straightforward answer there's so many complications and different angles yeah
1: it it definitely asking those kinds of questions is fun to do with students We're like well is is he and and to have the answer be kind of like Yes, no? <laughs> no, yes? <laughs> kind of, but also kind of not. That's that's like my singular goal, really, for students to walk away is being like, this is interesting. It matters. And we can have a discussion about it and en- engage with the evidence that exists and make a case for it, which I think is especially important when we consider our own history it feels more urgent for me and more meaningful in my U.S. history class to help my students to develop a language to talk about the events in our own history and which is especially important I think because you know this I teach at a school that is a very unique student population it's a pretty diverse school I know a lot of people say that and diversity has its own kind of loaded meaning. The school is is racially diverse. It's demographically diverse in terms of income and education level of the students' parents. And so I teach approximately like 60% students of color. So included in that would be like Latinx students, biracial students, and students who identify as Black. And then I also teach like approximately 35-ish percent white students. It's a it's a fairly good mix in each class and I find that my students of color often have a pretty good background in a lot of the more sensitive topics of US history. They've talked about them in their family. They've heard about them before. They have a language to talk about race and racism whereas my white students often don't have a language to talk about race or racism because white people either directly taught from their parents or society that it's impolite to talk about race and so they don't develop a way to talk about it beyond pretending it doesn't exist like oh I don't see color or (laughs) um, I don't you know think of things that way or you know however they might phrase it which might seem polite in the moment but it's not particularly useful <laughs> or really the way forward i would say it's it's very dismissive to the experience of an entire population in the united states to act as though it's not necessary to talk about those things because it feels impolite and so i find that my my students of color are very aware of their status in society like either they're not only their their blackness or their brownness or however they see themselves, but also the, the value that society places on it and where they kind of fall in the hierarchy of society. And my white students are often completely oblivious to their whiteness. And while they might have some kind of knowledge that they've picked up implicitly in society of the value that it has, they really haven't thought very critically about it. Certainly haven't thought about questioning it or dismantling it but they don't have really a way to talk about it. And so part of my job as I see it as a US history teacher in this kind of diverse setting is to not only like teach historical facts and knowledge, but also to equip my students to talk about the events of our country's history in a way that is meaningful and rooted in facts but also produces useful discussion and dialogue and promotes critical thought and also kind of how those things affect us now. I think one of the things I'm always trying to do is to connect the past to the present constantly in class so that it doesn't seem irrelevant or not useful, which this time in <laughs> that we're living in right now is actually presented lots of opportunities to do that i've enjoyed teaching in this particular cultural moment even if it's kind of stressful to live through (laughs) it definitely adds a a sense of of urgency and importance to to the job i have which i've always felt very honored and taken pretty seriously but now it feels critical
0: (laughs) speaking of stressful to live through The conversations that are currently going on about the, like, right way to talk about and teach American history, those are a little, for me as a person who values history, stressful to hear. And since you're in the classroom every day teaching American history, I want to hear your perspective on it.
1: There's this wonderful quote in the book 1984 that says, he who controls the present controls the past. And... I find that to be so, that just resonates with me so much right now, because it's actively happening (laughs) right now with the 1776 project that the president is pushing through and the idea that we should have a patriotic education. And what's implied by the word patriotism isn't a holistic, hard look in the mirror, but... That we can only celebrate America, that patriotism is only sort of blind allegiance to our country. Um, in any sort of critical discussion on, on errors that the US government has made that has irrevocably impacted communities like Native Americans or Latin Americans or Black Americans, like any sort of kind of critical look in the mirror about laws and policies that have actively repressed and oppressed groups is not patriotic. It's not patriotic to talk about those things. It's not patriotic to teach students to think about their country that way. It's only patriotic to talk about the, the victories and to, to kind of gloss over everything else. And in essentially whitewash history, I think one of the, the things that was startling for me uh, as a history educator. Was watching the RNC this summer and to listen to the president kind of give his mini recap of American history. And he starts his American history story the way that many textbooks do. Like the Europeans got in boats and they were curious and they were looking for freedom and they came here. And it's been like one glorious story of manifest destiny after another. And there's a lot of things that are startling about that. But even the idea that American history begins with Europeans, that American history starts with the arrival of Europeans on the North American shore, in and of itself, is a faulty starting point. (laughs) There, There are millions of people living here who had been here for a long time, who had diverse cultures and societies and skill sets and are American, (laughs) are are the first people. And so to to even start American history with the Mayflower is, you're already telling a false story and you're already perpetuating an idea that the story of America is the story of, of white progress. The story of America is the story of like white people bringing enlightenment to a place that didn't have it before and bringing their ideas of progress. And sure, they made some mistakes with slavery and oops, sorry about the Native Americans, but even they are kind of left completely out of the narrative. They act as though they just washed up on an empty continent and, oh, Pocahontas and her family were really helpful and thanks, Squanto, for Thanksgiving. And that's the end of the story, Um, is something that's, that's not only untrue, and offensive to many Native American people. It, I see it as actively dangerous for the future of our country because the problems that have kind of rippled from those events still affect us. Like people who live on reservations have the same mortality rate as people who live in Somalia. And there's no access to clean drinking water. So I was just listening to the news the other day and they were talking about how the coronavirus has impacted Native Americans on reservations more because they don't have running water in their homes and even the idea that like there are places in the United States where there's no running water is shocking enough but then to think about how do you fight a a germ pandemic with no running water like no way to clean your hands is yeah is it's. and so how can you address those problems and take on those very real problems that are facing our society if we don't own the history that made those realities happen. Native Americans didn't self-select to go on reservations in deserts where there isn't easy access to running water or no industry or cities. They were actively forced there by the United States government into undesirable land from desirable land that they were on because they had discovered gold there or because Georgia planters wanted that land on and on and on. And so forced into these parts of the United States that are lacking in natural resources, among other things, is really a a disservice. And so this idea that like he who controls the present controls the past is something I've tried to kind of hold in my mind this year as I, I actively want to make sure my students don't just blindly wave the flag. They don't just blindly pledge allegiance that you can love this country (laughs) that's perfectly appropriate and fine but blind patriotism is no patriotism at all and so if you are going to be a patriot then then you then you have to you have to love the nation you live in and to to love something is to know something so you have to you actually have to get to know it It has a lot of potential
0: There's so much power in both the stories we choose to tell and the ones we choose not to tell, as long as history classrooms aren't being censored.
1: Something that gives me pause is stories I've heard from fellow educators who are in history classes where the censoring of the kinds of history they can teach is already starting to seep into their classrooms. So I have a couple of friends who have shared different stories with me of their own experiences. I thankfully have not experienced this, but it does it does make me nervous for the future in general. Um, so I had a, a friend who told me that um, he is no longer allowed to show images that might be considered unsavory or offensive in his class. And I'm not talking about images that would startle anyone, like genocide victims or images of war no he is not allowed to show the statue of david because it's considered salacious so when he teaches the renaissance he's a world history teacher he has to take black bars and place them over the nude statues and 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 paintings because they're considered offensive and that that's that's something that, that is startling to me because the censoring of something that, in my mind, in the grand scheme of, of all of the things that could be considered offensive in history, Renaissance art feels so benign and generally celebrated by the rest of the world. Like, the Statue of David is considered to be one of the most beautiful sculptures ever made. And to, to think that those kinds of things are being censured and edited Feels like a slippery slope to me of editing the parts of history that that could truly give one pause, like genocide or the Dawes Act for Native Americans or the way that the, the KKK and the White League were sort of in bed with Southern politics, like right from the end of Reconstruction. Like those things are actively startling. <laughs> and so... So if, if people are offended by censoring renaissance art images it does make me wonder what things might be next eventually and so that that gives me pause <laughs> and it makes me feel like it's that much more important for people to to learn history and, and not just to take it upon themselves to learn history cuz i think that that is awesome and i'm actually really encouraged that you know, the American History Museum, the, the Smithsonian Museum is, like, the most popular one besides air and space, and the History Channel is a really popular channel, and so, like, it seems like there's still a general interest in history in our country, so that makes me happy, but I guess what I mean by history education and, and people learning their history, I, I'm talking about high school education, and not just because I'm a high school history teacher, but because it's, for a lot of people, the last formal education they'll have in history for the rest of their life, unless they seek it out on their own. Most people who go on to get advanced degrees, unless they're studying history or have an interest in it already, their high school American history class might be the last American history class they ever take. And so if the last American history class you ever take says nothing of slavery and says nothing of the women's rights movement or of the labor movement in this country or says nothing of Japanese internment, then you don't really know the history of your nation. And that I think is a is a disservice to this to citizens. So I, I see my job as not only imparting knowledge, but also empowering people to to learn their their nation's history and to ensure that it doesn't happen
0: again. And actually, this is something you told us back when I was in high school. We were discussing history and we were talking about the idea of like those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. And you told us that it's not just about like doom and bad things. There's also like a lot of good in history that we shouldn't like cast it aside because there are things that we can learn from history to like because we want to recreate them in the present. It's not just about all the mistakes of the past. There were triumphs that we should try to recreate and learn about and acknowledge. And to go back to that Orville quote about he who controls the present controls the past, I find that it goes both ways and that's part of the importance of history is that it's harder to see and to believe that there will be like a diverse array of change makers in the present when all you're taught about the past is that old white men were the people who made change. Which is why history is so powerful and empowering and learning an inclusive history is so important.
1: Yes, you're totally right. Like some of my favorite American moments are those moments. Like the fact that Wyoming refused to join the union unless women were allowed to vote. (laughs) That's incredibly progressive for the 1800s. (laughs) like they were like oh we're not gonna let ladies vote then we'll just stay a territory it's fine (laughs) like if if we're gonna become a state then the women have to have the right to vote so like that's that's incredible (laughs) or someone like susan b anthony intentionally breaking the law or the lovings breaking the law and getting married even though it was illegal to have an interracial marriage like I think about Congressman John Lewis when he talks about good trouble, like getting into good trouble. Like I think the the good trouble stories are some of my, my favorite stories in American history. People are like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disrupt this system because it's not okay. And it's interesting to me that recently the, like people don't always recognize the good trouble or the good disruptors in the moment they're in. Um, it's, In the past. So, like, (laughs) when they look back at the Patriots dumping tea into the sea or uh, smuggling in Dutch tea or tar and feathering tax collectors, they're like, yeah, those are real American Patriots. (laughs) Like, if you had been living during this time, I feel like you might not have felt that way. You just feel that way now because you know the end of the story. I think about like Colin Kaepernick, In, in my opinion, I think he will go down as somebody who is a good disruptor who brought attention to a critical issue and and forced a conversation about it. And so when when I hear people criticize that but praise Patrick Henry, like, I don't think you recognize the Patrick Henrys that exist now. (laughs) There are Patrick Henrys everywhere (laughs) who are all in their own way saying, give me liberty or give me death. And so I, I'd like to be able to kind of point that, that out to my students. A couple of years ago, oh gosh, it feels like a couple of years ago. Honestly, it might have just been last year. <laughs> it's been the longest year ever. <laughs> but whenever the caravan of migrants was coming and they were coming to our country and oh, the humanity... It just so happened to coincide with a time that we were talking about, oh, shoot, you're going to have to put this in postscript because I'm blanking on the name of the boat, the boat of Jewish people who came over. When I tell students that story of that boat, they're they're always like, I can't believe we did that. I can't believe, you know, these people came to our shores and they were in trouble and then they went home. They were going to get killed. I can't believe we turned them away. I'm like, yeah, that is pretty terrible. So what do you think about the migrants that are coming here? And and like some students can make the connection, but some of them need like more direct teaching or more direct coaching. I mean, like it's the same thing. <laughs> it's It really is the a similar concept.
0: We did later end up looking up the name of that boat of Jewish people fleeing the Holocaust that came to America looking for refuge and was turned away. It was the St. Louis came up to the
1: shores carrying 937 Jewish passengers and we turned them away. Yeah. And so I find it's easy to look back for students to look back at the past and be like, I definitely would have been on the right side of this issue. I definitely would have stood for humanity (laughs) and and not the oppressor. And so I, I, I find that, Everyone kind of assumes in Star Wars that they wouldn't be part of the empire, <laughs> even, even, if, even if they are, um, inadvertently. And so I, I also find it's fun to talk with students and to help them be able to see in their own way, like the people who are, who are the Patrick Henrys, I suppose, of, of today.
0: Ms. Wood has also used the pandemic to, to help add diverse stories and storytellers to her teaching, which I think is so cool. One thing I've been
1: trying to do this year, too, which to some degree the pandemic has lent itself well to this, is to introduce my students to historians of color, female historians. I'd like to also introduce them to non binary historians or people who are. Doing work related to history education because it, when it's just me telling the story in class, which it often is in a traditional high school sense, like I'm just a white lady <laughs> telling the story. But I, I actually find that with asynchronous learning, some days it's easier for me to give them a different voice to listen to, like, oh, listen to this person tell this story, which is that's been kind of cool to introduce them to different kinds of historians because. I also inadvertently in my head think of historians as like old white guys with elbow patches on their sweaters, even though it's a way more interesting and diverse field than that.
0: Yeah, it is. That's something I didn't even get to see till college because I actually didn't even have my first Black teacher until I got to college. And taking history classes with Black teachers is when I really realized that the reason why I wasn't really exposed to a lot of important things in Black history is because it's a lot of times Black historians who are interested in studying Black history who feel that it's urgent enough to talk about it a lot. So bringing a diverse array of historians will bring attention to like diverse parts of history that white historians aren't always interested in.
1: Absolutely. You are 100% right about that. And I have also had to seek these kinds of stories out because they're not readily available. They're not part of mainstream curriculum often. They're not something that was a part of my own education. And so, part of, I guess, kind of me moving the needle of me being the version of the history teacher I'd like to be is to tell more of those stories. So, in the last couple of years, I've tried to actively dismantle the white savior narrative that exists a lot in all of American society and American storytelling in particular, but also in the way we tell stories about history. And so when we talk about Nat Turner in my AP US history class, it's often the first time that my students are being told about a slave rebellion. And so I, every year without fail, get asked the question, how come enslaved people didn't rebel before this point? And I have to tell them they, they did all the time <laughs> in active and passive ways, constant. There was constant resistance. It wasn't always you know, trying to mount an army and and slaughter people, though that did happen. But it often was much more everyday kinds of resistance like breaking tools or refusing to do work and so the kinds of things that may not get a movie made about them <laughs> but that they tell a much clearer and more accurate picture of of the life of an enslaved person that they weren't just kind of humbly and graciously accepting whatever provisions their enslaver gave them that they were you Know actively resisting and actively fighting for their own freedom and voice and name and marriage and children and culture and food and like on and on and on and on and on, and so I, I find that those those stories are important and validating to tell because they're important for the story of Black history, but they're they're also the they're also essential to the story of American history. It's something I I feel like is good for white students also to integrate those stories into the mainstream narrative of American history so that they're not like, oh, American history is the history of white people and every now and then we're nice and talk about the histories of other people. (laughs) You're like, no, they're also American and their story is our story, (laughs) Um, so that's been kind of nice to, to change the, the dialogue around. Not always an easy one. I, for the most part, I've been very fortunate. Like my students have been super on board, really enthusiastic. Perhaps not surprisingly, it's often their parents who are like in an older generation who are a little bit less enthusiastic about some of the, the topics that we might address in class.
0: Oh no, that sounds like that could be tricky.
1: I had, it wasn't really directly related to the issue, but we were looking at images from the women's movement and how women were fighting for the right to vote. And one of the images included women being stripped down and sprayed with a water hose. And the parent who, well, I had two parents get upset because I showed images that had partial nudity in them. So, the moral outrage here is for the partial nudity, not the dehumanizing of women who just wanted to vote. Just so I'm clear. <laughs> the part you're objecting to is the butt cheek. Okay. <laughs> not the debasing of Americans. Okay. <laughs> so I think that's, that's the, the part that can sometimes be discouraging for me and the way Americans view the world and their own history histories this like strange moral pride but also like misplaced moral outrage <laughs> like, the thing you're objecting to is this <laughs> not not this other yeah it can be demoralizing some days to have those kinds of conversations but it does also reinforce the importance of of keeping the main point the main point in American history like the main point is to is to tell a story that that tells the story of all citizens or as many citizens as I can include in a school year, <laughs> being a flawed person myself who also you know has my own work to do as a as a white person, trying to tell a more inclusive story,
0: things like making time for and discussing aspects of modern history like. typical racism in assumptions about the welfare system, mass incarceration, and the Black Lives Matter movement, but even more importantly, by considering the particular moment that we're in right now regarding race.
1: So in light of the the racial reckoning and in, in some ways that our that our country is beginning to to have I started to to learn about really and think about for the first time racial trauma as like collective trauma that people can experience and so when I learned about this I immediately was nervous and concerned that I might traumatize my students in teaching about certain topics or re-traumatize them. And I was thinking particularly of a lesson that I teach in my U.S. history class about lynching and in a short history of vigilanteism in the United States. And in as part of this lesson, I show images of lynchings, mostly to show my students how well attended many of them were. And it is shocking. And part of the motivation of showing the images is to... Is to show them like a startling image so we can talk about it and about how commonplace these things were for a long time. And so I got nervous after I learned about racial trauma that I was going to re-traumatize my students. And so I asked a few students that I'm close to if they would be upset or if I had done something wrong by teaching about it. And a student of mine, really a lovely person, and just extremely brilliant in the way that he can just kind of succinctly point out truth, said to me, Miss Wood, students are rarely traumatized by the truth. It's when you try and pretend that those things didn't happen or that they weren't serious, that's when it's going to be re-traumatizing. But we won't be re-traumatized by you telling us the truth about lynching or vigilantism or violence that has been enacted against black people from the very beginning and that has also become uh, a thought that I've held in the forefront of my mind along with George Orwell in the last year or so that like people are not traumatized by the truth the truth in in a way will set you free (laughs) that is the gift of the truth I guess you know
0: I never really thought about history education in that way. But it is so true. Just looking and living in this present moment, there are things about the past that can't be denied based on the way things are right now. Like there's this thing that if black people see people running, they don't ask questions, they just start running too. Just and like just generally if some if some kind of mess is going on, black people don't Investigate we go the other way, and that's like deeply rooted in the fact that for so much of American history white people could just terrorize black people without repercussions and frequently did and to deny that trauma that that has become part of my experience because it's been passed down to me from my parents, my grandparents, and my ancestors who had to live through those times is traumatic it is denying trauma that's very real what a brilliant kid
1: I know it's it's totally true like and I hope that my greatest hope for history education is that we can form as a nation a, a collective narrative about the past that we can come to an agreement about things that happened in the past and have a way that we talk about it that is common for white people for black people for all people who are citizens of the country that we can talk about the past openly and frankly and learn from it and create a better future.
0: Glad to hear it. And thank you so much for coming on and discussing history education with me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) In this episode, a lot of historical events and people and names were thrown around without a whole lot of context so if you want to learn a little bit more about any of those things check out the show notes on my website which is in the show description there will also be some further reading suggestions in there if you'd like to learn more about any themes we talked about today also i had to cut some parts of the conversation that i really wanted to share with you but i didn't want this episode to be like too unwieldy and long so i'm going to release them throughout the month as shorter bonus clips including one about the wilmington coup and connecting it to colin kaepernick and the squad so definitely subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you know when those are released and if you liked the show share it and rate it thank you so much for tuning in all power to all people y'all